Bienvenidos and welcome to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. On tonight's program, more than ever, we need art as resistance, so we focus on a couple exciting projects. The first, after our inaugural weekend and our rising up at the women's marches, we will bring you an interview with screenwriter Antonio Ortiz about his film, Queen and the Dead, about a drag queen fighting back against zombies. Many people are worried about a pending apocalypse and the end of the world and how we're going to protect our communities. Well, this film couldn't have come at a better time and we'll talk to him about his project. We'll also bring you an interview highlighting Afro-Peruvian music and dance. The interview will focus on Afro-Peruvian traditions and also the way that you can get involved and learn. We'll also bring you poetry from our very own Nina Serrano about um, women's marches this last weekend. We'll begin the program with a year in review with Acción Latina as they talk about art and culture programs happening in the mission. Muchas gracias por estar con nosotros. I created the event was originally it was to to showcase the talent of our photographers but also to um, to, to also shine a light on the experience on the diversity of the Latino experience in the Bay Area um, however I think this year the event takes on a different meaning for us we have a president about to take office who kicked off his campaign by saying very disparaging and very degrading things about Latinos. And this, um, his example has created an environment that encourages hateful and racist speech towards people like us. So I think that now more than ever, this event becomes about making ourselves visible. More, now more than ever, we have to put ourselves out there and to be proud of who we are, to, to, to lift our brown heads up high and make sure that everybody knows that we are here, we contribute to the society, and we aren't going anywhere. And I think that this exhibit is a good opportunity to, to really visually show uh, what it is that our contributions are, what our struggles are, and, and how we rise above these struggles and, and all the great things that our culture has that contribute to, to our country. In the summer, we had a lot of protests uh, against police brutality. During one of these protests in May, there, were, uh, there was a huge crowd of about 500 demonstrators who went to City Hall and three of our photographers, our Tecolote photographers, were assaulted that evening by sheriff's deputies. First, we had um, Gabriela Angotti Jones. She was taking photos and uh, without any warning, she began to be dragged away from the crowd and she was about to get arrested. And at that point, another one of our photographers, Joel Angel Juarez, he started, um, he started yelling and saying, let her go, she's pressed, she's not a demonstrator, let her go. Luckily, they let her go, but then they pushed Joel down the set of stairs. He tumbled down these marble stairs uh, with his equipment crashing down. And on top of what happened to them, a third photographer, Natasha Dangond, was hit in the head with a baton. And if you know Ms. Dengon, you will see that she's a very petite woman who posed absolutely no physical threat to anybody who was there. There's a lot of risks, and I think that when we look at photos, it's, it's easy to just react to what our eyes are seeing in that moment, but we don't always look and think of what it took to get those images. So we're very lucky here that we have an incredibly committed group of photographers uh, producing images for our newspaper. Our Latino community has been thrown so much this year. We've been subject to racist discourse through economic struggles, homelessness, gentrification. Our communities have suffered tragedies, but every time we come together and 
Every time we show that we're stronger than any of the challenges that have been thrown at us. So I think that that's, that's very gratifying and we can, we can walk away from 2016 maybe feeling a little bit bruised, <laughs> but at the same time, we can see through these images that we're gonna keep moving forward and we're gonna keep fighting and we're gonna keep rising. And, and that's the main thing that I want people to see, that this, these photographs are evidence of that. by me, the first on January 21st, 2017, about the Oakland March, and the second the following day. Women of the World March, part one. Women of the World March in the name of love, compassion, inclusion, and equality, pushing strollers, walkers, and raising our voices seeing each other on our cell phones in 600 cities, one foot in front of the other to stop fascism, sexism, racism, homophobia, misogyny, xenophobia, and the continuing pollution of Mother Earth. Pink hats on premenstrual and postmenstrual heads, babes in arms or on dad's shoulders, learning that freedom is a constant struggle of a lifetime. Part two, the morning after the Women of the World March. Remembering the Arab Spring and the aftermath of a bombed-up, conflicted Arab world, we know our daily work of protest and knitting together a new world has to continue on computers, phones, streets, classrooms, buses, trains, malls, and kitchens, demonstrating compassion, kindness, love, and strength in our smiles. Show our New Year's resolutions in action. This is Benina Serrano for La Raza Chronicles, wishing you a Happy New Year in peace.
tiempo gastado en puro trabajo No está bien invertido Que prefieres abrazos a un lindo vestido Y que el tiempo no vuelve, el tiempo no vuelve El tiempo no vuelve, el tiempo no listening to La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza. Today, we're very lucky to have a good friend of the station and also an excellent filmmaker, creative, and artist, writer, Antonio Ortiz, here in the studio with us. He's a screenwriter, and he's going to talk to us about his exciting project, The Queen and the Dead. Thank you so much, Antonio, for being here with us. Thank you, Julieta, for having me. So we had you on about six months ago when your project was really just beginning some of its important filming and you were in the stage where you were telling us about these beautiful costume designs and telling us about the story. So not everyone may have caught that interview. So why don't you break down some of the important pieces of this story, The Queen and the Dead? So The Queen and the Dead is something that I created with my husband uh, two years ago in 2014. Essentially... If I can put it in a nutshell, it's drag queens versus zombies. You know, that's like, you know, everyone who hears that, oh, fun, I love it. If you want to delve more into it, it's really about this young man who leaves San Francisco and he decides that he wants to be the next Madonna, the next international female pop star. And so for him as a, as a Latino American, he decides, I'm going to go to Mexico, and my plan is to make it big in Mexico. If I can do that, I can make it big in all of Latin America, and I can cross over and be the next Shakira, right? Uh, that way of becoming the next Madonna. So it's all really fun. Um, it's a horror comedy. This young man is in Mexicali. He gets stuck in the border, and he like many artists, is doing a bunch of things like making T-shirts, making a calendar, painting, uh, doing, you know, um, lip syncing performances. And his drag mother comes from San Francisco and goes there to the border and says, you know what, if you really want to do this, instead of just being comfortable, 
you know, pursue your dreams. Do it 100%. I know it's scary, but go for it. And so after the little talk, they, the drag, drag mother uh, finds a place to do a performance. He comes to go to the performance, and no one shows up because there's a zombie apocalypse. And uh, from then on, it's just their adventures of, you know, um, evading the zombies. And uh, they, they do discover that when he sings, his, his voice actually hypnotizes the zombies and they're able to kill them. And so he, he gets converted into this zombie slayer, right? Uh, and for me, it's, it's, a, it's a fun story. Me and my crew have had a hoot, you know, coming up with these scenarios and how is uh, how are we going to play out each scene and what's funny. And yes, it's a horror comedy. It's fun. And there's a lot of gore and guts and you'll laugh. But also, I think it's really interesting that we don't have a drag or an LGBTQ superhero. And that's kind of like what we're creating. I mean, he doesn't necessarily have superpowers, but he does have a beautiful voice. And essentially what... I'm saying in this film is that no matter what's going on in the world, there really isn't an excuse to not follow your dreams, even if the whole world is taken over by zombies, because there are still people who are alive. So it doesn't mean your life needs to stop. And I think that's one thing that's really important that we're putting out there in a fun way that, you know, no matter what, yes, it's difficult, but there's no reason to not pursue your dreams and go for what it is you want in your life, because you only live once. And, you know, it's, it's exciting. You know, yes, it's scary, but it's really exciting to to do what you want to do. That's the voice of Antonio Ortiz. He's the director and screenwriter of The Queen and the Dead. And honestly, there could not be a better time for this film. We really, really need it. We are in a time where some people consider this the zombie apocalypse because mm-hmm. we have a lot of fear out there. People feel overwhelmed. They feel like, do I have to hide who I am now? This political climate is really brought out a lot of insecurities and really felt like a big attack for a lot of us. So tell us a little bit about where you're at in the production process, because, you know, you've really gotten a lot done and I've seen some of these great shots. You have great trailers on your website and I've seen some of the really fun. I was just very impressed by the makeup and the design and the quality of the shooting. So tell us a little bit about what you've shot so far. The script that I wrote is about 110 pages. So I have 110 pages of a scr- of the script, and if we translate it into screen time, one page is equivalent to about a minute of the final product, right? So it's going to go roughly about 100, 110 minutes, which is about an hour and 50 minutes total, which I'm going to try to push to be a little bit shorter. So far, what we have, we've already filmed pretty much all of the film, and now what we're doing is we're gearing up to finish the editing process. So in September, October, and November, we filmed practically 80% of the film. In December, I've started editing all this, the footage that I have. And in January this month, earlier this month, we filmed the rest of the movie, the big concert scenes, the scenes that required the most uh, resources for production. And now I'm in this phase of editing, editing, editing. And in March, we're going to do a premiere in Mexicali uh, to celebrate. It's for during their, their city celebration, their city anniversary, the city birthday. So we're going to um, do a premiere there. And also we're planning on doing a premiere in June for our friends and supporters here in the Bay Area and to start spreading, you know, s- spreading the joy of the movie. But at this point, it's pretty much all production is, is done. We're editing, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun and wild ride. And I can't wait to see you all in June, your faces and you know how you take the final product. I think you guys would really love it. So Antonio, it's great to hear that you've made so much progress, and it is so close. This is a film that's really required uh, and has involved so many people and so many different characters and different expertise. So I know you've a uh, international cast you have a cast of people from both Mexico and the United States and you have set designers and and costume directors that have really thought creatively and invest a lot of time into this why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the components that have gone into the Queen and the Dead okay so for our cast and crew 
Okay, one thing about the crew, let me go that direction, is the only people who weren't Mexican were me and my sister Yvonne. And my sister Yvonne was doing the, or is doing the um, costume design for the movie. So the two of us are the only ones who aren't Mexican. Everyone else in the crew is from Mexicali, uh, which is a great little town that has, you know, has a lot of people who are very passionate and very talented and very resourceful with the limited budget that and limited resources that we were able to to get, you know, meaning that we really had to think outside the box and do things that, you know, could have been done easier. Of course, if you had like millions of dollars, that would be great. But I'm really proud to tell you guys that the talent that I've seen, you know, sometimes made me want to cry because I thought that, wow, I'm amazed that, especially for our art department, our art director is Paula Niebla, and she was able to make, you know, the bottom half of a human, you know, with just paper mache, newspaper, and, you know, some pants that we were able to get, right? And, you know, some things that they were able to reuse, um, like latex that, that was used for other scenes. So these uh, artists that I've worked with that I've happened to to get to know have really inspired me to see that no matter what you have, you can do it. You know, you just have to think outside the box, be creative, and there's always a way. And so all of our cat, our, our crew, pretty much, uh, outside of me and my sister, are from Mexicali. For the cast, it's very, um, di- it's very diverse in the sense of where people come from. We have a lot of people that we've casted in Mexico City. We have Ida Pierce, who is a comedian um, who's well-known for doing um, this character called Doña Tecla, which is like a secretary character in a telenovela back in the, I want to say in the 70s or 80s, a lot earlier. And uh, she participated. We had a great time with her filming scenes in Mexico City. In Mexicali, we have uh, a bunch of actors that are from there who are part of the of the crew. Also, uh, we have an actress, Vanessa Avendano from um, Calexico, who was working with us. Our main character... Florentino slash Viola Corona, who is the who is the queen, is uh, a wonderful actor here. Marcelo Pereira, uh, he does musical theater. He also co-founded and is co-director of SF Batco, San Francisco Bay Area Theater Company, here in uh, in San Francisco. Um, they have been uh, around for like already three years, and you know if you're interested in checking out his productions, you know check out SF Batco. So our our whole cast is very diverse from all you know different places, um, and we also have some actors from San Diego who played our um, our American tourists who are traveling through Mexico and taking pictures and seeing all these zombies and thinking, whoa, what's going on here in Mexico? This is really you know I wasn't expecting this, <laughs> right? So um, we had a um, yeah very diverse cast, and um, one thing that uh, a story that I'm thinking of right now is. When I was getting interviewed in Mexicali, there was this uh, place called Canal 66, Channel 66. It's a, it's a TV news uh, channel. And in the mornings, they have maybe a, a short segment for, uh, you know, for art, culture, things that are going on in Mexicali that, that they want to do interviews on or promote. And um, this is just an, a story about me and, and navigating the Spanish language um, because the movie is going to be 25, 30% in Spanish. The rest is in English. Don't worry if you don't understand Spanish. There's going to be some titles there. Uh, but my experience as a English native speaker being in Mexico, I was being interviewed and um, the interviewer was asking me in Spanish, you know, so how did you get this, this team together? How did you get the cast together? But I didn't understand what the word, because they use the word elenco, and I didn't know what that meant. So the whole time <laughs> I was looking at Hector, uh, my partner, he's also the producer of the film. And also he plays Belly Galore in the film. You know, it's wild and crazy. We're doing a lot. Uh, I looked at him and I, I was giving them this face. I don't know what she's saying. And it's live television. I don't have time to go and say, excuse me, can you please educate me? What does that word mean? <laughs> right. So... Um, so that has been my experience producing uh, and directing a film in Mexico that um, it's it's really wonderful. If you've ever get the chance to be abroad and to live with people who don't speak English and you learn another language, I have to say that it's one of the experiences that I think is really important for people to have because you get to understand that 
life is really fun and exciting and it's an adventure. And when you're in this place of trying to figure out what's going on and slowly learning, you know, new words, another uh, culture, it's really exciting. And I think that's one thing that I got from the movie, from producing the movie and working with all these people from Mexico, also in the States, that there really isn't differences between us. You know, we all want to have fun. We all want to create. We we all want to make the world a better place. And when you do take the time to just learn and try to understand each other, yes, it's a lot of work, but it's a big payoff on what you have in the end. Because in the end, you work together and you learn how to overcome obstacles with other people. That's the voice of Antonio Ortiz. He's the director and screenwriter of Queen and the Dead, which is getting close to being wrapped up. But I know, Antonio, that this has been a group effort all the way that you all have done this through a tremendous support from your community and many others. So why don't you tell us about the next steps and how people can get involved? So the next step for us, for me personally, is getting the film edited and ready for our premiere in March and in, in June. Uh, for everyone out there who are, who are listening, I would really love for you guys to go check out the website. It's thequeenandthedead.com. Very simple, thequeenandthedead.com. On there, we have, um, we have some videos of our trailers. We have the short film, which gives everyone an idea of where we wanted to go. The short film was done on an iPhone 5S, my, my iPhone, uh, with a budget of $5,500. And we did it in three days in Mexico City and Mexicali. It's fun and wild and crazy and, you know, 22 minutes. It's long. It's a, it's a long, short film. And we made it to give people an idea of where we wanted to go with the, with the full-length feature film. So now the full-length feature film we're editing, um, what we need is we need you guys to go check out the website, promote us, let your friends know that we're doing a film about drag queens versus zombies. Also, we're fundraising to finish the film. We fundraised enough money to get us this far, and we need more help to get us to the finishing line. So we have a campaign uh, out there. Go to the website. It'll give you information on how to get to that campaign, how to make a donation, and every little bit helps. You know, $5 donation on up, all of that put together. We found that we really are our community, and, you know, I don't have the... I don't have the luxury of knowing someone who can just say, here's $1 million, you guys are done. But I do have, you know, a big wide network of friends and family who have helped us get this far. And even this radio station, I've worked here for 10 years and I see, you know, I see it in action that, you know, there are a lot of people out there who, you know, if they see the cause and they they love it and they support it, it's great. And, you know, that's the way that I think that this film is really going to be a success is for anyone out there who loves drag queens, who loves, you know, zombie movies, zombie films, who loves gore, but who also loves comedy, you know, who loves the idea of um, seeing original music because we're making original music for the film. You know, your support will help us get to that point. And, you know, when you see it on the big screen, just know that, you know, even if you gave like $20, your $20 help us make this this beautiful movie. Antonio, especially right now when people, the voices that they're seeing, they're feeling like things are becoming more limited and we're not seeing as many hopeful, positive stories of people, about people pursuing their dreams because a lot of people are feeling a lot of fear right now. So especially right now, your film is really, even though it is a comedy, it is really touching on some key points. What else do you think people need to know about The Queen and the Dead? So one thing that um, Hector and I, well, at least Hector, he went to Mexicali a few months ago and he presented the short film to a conference that was combating homophobia, sexism, a bunch of isms that exist in Mexico. And one of the directors there, a professor at the universe, at one of the universities in Mexicali, said to him that he found it so refreshing to have an LGBTQ character who isn't victimized. Right. And I never thought about it until Hector mentioned it to me that that's one thing that I, I don't want to create because, you know, that that exists already. And I kind of wanted to have just a character. They happen to be gay uh, and they happen to be wanting to pursue being a female international pop star. Yet there's none of this. Oh, like how hard my life is, how I'm oppressed and all that. Because I kind of I wanted to uh, avoid that part of it and make it where 
that's just a given. There's nothing, you know, we don't have to question that or explain that. This is just how it is. And the only objective in the film is that he wants to be the next Madonna on stage. And how is he going to do it? And his biggest obstacle is zombies. And that's it. And no matter what, you know, I don't want to have to explain why he's gay, why he decided to become the next Madonna. That's not important. What's important is that this is his choice and this is what he wants to do. And how is he going to reach that goal? So what I think is really great is, and in the film you'll you'll discover and you'll see that in the um, in the short film that my main character his voice hypnotizes zombies, so he becomes a zombie slayer at the end. He becomes a superhero, and what I think is really important is having an LGBTQ or a drag superhero. I don't think we we have one out there, but I would love to, for this character to be that first LGBTQ drag superhero. For for me, going back to my life when I was younger, I think growing up would have been a lot different if there was an LGBTQ or a drag superhero. That really does make a difference in a lot of people's lives because let's go into this whole idea of the superheroes that we have in film. And to my understanding, there really isn't any drag or LGBTQ superhero that's out there now that's mainstream. And the, the positive thing about superheroes is that they have this, yeah, they have the superpower and they have they still have flaws, but they're there to, you know, their struggle is to make the world a better place, right? And how do they contribute into making this world a better place? And I think what would be really awesome is to have an LGBTQ or drag superhero who does that um, because for a person like me, growing up, if I could, if I saw that, that would really change the way that how I feel either accepted or not accepted in this um, society. I think I would feel more accepted that there is these characters out there that kind of represent me that also want to make the world a better place, kind of like I do too. I mean, you know, everyone wants to contribute to society. Everyone wants to make it better. And having a superhero is kind of like the epitome of that, like the ideal idealization of a character trying to do that, yet struggling through obstacles, struggling through all this adversity. And, you know, being a part of that, I think, is something that would be really opening for for society in, in general. You don't have to question why these people are doing this. Why, um, why does this person have to be gay? Why does this person want to do it as a female? That... There is no explanation of that. It's just that's what they want, you know, and they're, that's their objective. And it's really the story of this person trying to become that next Madonna, right? In simple terms, that's kind of what I wanted to put out there and not have to question all that stuff or explain that stuff. Uh, the only explanation is how are they going to reach their goal, right? And I think that's really important for people to see and also for, for people to be inspired by. It's like, wow, this person... Uh, this character exists, and that character uh, represents me. That character, you know, wants to be an artist. I want to be an artist, and you know, that character has their flaws. They feel like they're not good enough, or whatever. I feel the same way, but I see this character actually making their goal and overcoming their own fears, overcoming obstacles that are outside of them, and being able to do it. I too can do that, and that's kind of one thing that I wanted to put out there. So where we're at now is we're in the process of editing. We have done all of production, and we need your help for that um, because, you know, doing a movie takes takes resources, takes money. Uh, so if anyone out there, for everyone out there who loves drag queens, zombies, comedy, horror, you know, we need your help. Uh, check out the website. You can go there at www.thequeenandthedead.com. Um, there's information there about the short film that we already created. There's also information that's um, about the current film that we're doing, the, where we are, and also how to support us. Uh, any amount helps. Um, it's really important for us to get this film out there. Think about it, a drag superhero. You know, that is something that we don't see. So your support will help us get there and make it a, a reality. So go ahead uh, to thequeenofthedead.com. 
pop culture is a lot more powerful than people think. Right mm-hmm. now, we have an election where people think that the election was won because of you know media coverage, etc. Like people's worldviews are shaped by what they hear over and over and over again mm-hmm. said about themselves and how this shapes not only the way we see ourselves but how we see others and how you know art is political and. This- we're here with Antonio Ortiz. He's the director and the screenwriter of The Queen and the Dead, which is getting wrapped up right now. He's in the final stages of putting together this wonderful film that is really been brought together with community support. So, Antonio, I think there are probably a lot of people listening that are thinking, wow, why do you think, especially at this moment, it's so crucial? At this moment, it's really crucial to have this movie out, and not just because... For me personally, I love comedies, I love horror, and this has all of that. But more importantly, it has a drag superhero. And I think that is very important at this time. It's very easy for people to demonize people they don't understand, the other, right? And for me, what I wanted to create and what I am creating actually right now is a drag superhero, which makes a drag queen you know, uh, something that is mainstream, something that's pop culture, right? It is very important because people want to want to be accepted. And that's one thing that's been very difficult for someone who growing up gay is very difficult to, you know, to to handle, right? Um, Because we always have these questions of, you know, are we worth, you know, are we worthy um, you know, why can't I be different? Um, you know, you know, why can't I change to something that is more acceptable, right? And you know, it's a it's a very hard process for a lot of people to accept this is who I am, and I can't change that, and I don't want to change that, and I want to be proud of who I am. But it's very difficult when you have not um, that many role models out there, and having a drag superhero, I think, would be a great role model for people. And I think that's really uh, important at, at this time, especially when LGBTQ folks are being are being attacked. It's really important to have that character out there that you know is accepted in mainstream society, and you know people want to emulate, people want to dress up like them in Halloween. You know how how fabulous that would be. Um, so that is why it's really important in this time. And I think for anyone out there who wants to support this cause, it's go to our website and, and check out how you can help. You know, spreading the word about the movie is one great way to to support us. Let people know that there is a drag superhero against zombies film that is being created and it's going to be out this year, you know, and also like putting in uh, financial support that will help us. You know, it's unfortunate that we need money, but that's something that every, you know, that every project needs and um any little bit that you guys can put out there, you know, be it $5 to, you know, $10,000, that would be great, you know. Um, so what I want to put out there is that, you know, if this is something that you want to see this year, you want to see come to fruition, check out our website, support us, share us at www.thequeenofthedead.com. Thank you so much. That's been the voice of Antonio Ortiz. He's the director and screenwriter and one of the visionaries behind this very important project that's not only important, it's also fun, which is great because, you know, we can't do this fight if we're not laughing, if we're not supporting each other, if we don't have joy. Joy is a key part of our success to keep working towards a more just world. So muchísimas gracias por estar con nosotros, Antonio. Thank you, Julieta, and thank you, La Raza Chronicles.
Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Julieta Kusnir. We're hearing some beautiful music. That's Camote Asao. And we have Carmen Roman here in the studios with us to talk to us a little bit about La Musica Peruana and some really exciting offerings here in the Bay. Thank you so much, Carmen, for being here. Hola, Julieta. Thank you for having me. So, Carmen, first of off, what kind of music did we just hear? What was that? It was had a lot of energy. So this was the festejo rhythm, and it's one of the rhythms within Afro-Peruvian music and dance as well. It's the most popular of the rhythms. And festejo comes from the word festejar, which means to celebrate, which is why, as you can hear, the sounds are very joyous. So, Carmen, there are probably people listening that haven't really heard much about Afro-Peruvian tradition. So tell us a little bit about how Afro traditions have influenced Peruvian music and also dance. African traditions have been practiced mainly in the coast of Peru by African descendants, and now they are practiced by black Peruvians and non-black Peruvians, and they have influenced the food, the music, and the culture of the coast of Peru. They have influenced Musica Criolla, uh, valses and food like we have anticuchos and which are <laughs> this may sound a little odd but it's uh, the heart of a cow <laughs> and picarones several of the food from the coast has been influenced from from um, the African descendants so how does this show up musically so tell us about some of the instruments and how mm. this plays out in the music that we just heard so some of the main instruments in Afro-Peruvian music are the cajón, which is literally, it's a box. It's a wooden box drum that the player sits down on and they slap the front side of the box, sometimes the side as well. And then and other musical instruments that are specific to Afro-Peruvian culture are the quijada, which is a donkey's jaw. It's a jawbone of a donkey. And we have the cajita, which is a smaller box. It's also a wooden box that you play with a stick. So the player hangs the cajita around their neck and they open and close the top lid and they hit it with a stick. And uh, the cajita, the, the origins of the cajita come from um, collection boxes in church. So, Carmen Roman, you are someone who's dedicated a lot of your time to the study of Peruvian dance. Specifically, you focused a lot of energy around Afro-Peruvian music and dance. Yes. So tell us about that and tell us about some of the things that you've learned because, you know, you've really had to investigate a lot of time and energy because, from my understanding, and it's not something that people spend years studying in school <laughs> in Peru. I, I've spent a lot of years studying and practicing Afro-Peruvian dance specifically. The most recent project that I did, I came back in May from a, a Fulbright grant to Peru. So I was living in Peru for about a year, and I was specifically researching Afro-Peruvian dance. I did a lot of work in the community teaching children and adults I gave some workshops in El Carmen, which is specifically, um, it's mainly populated by Afro-Peruvians. And I also worked in Lima a lot and joined a couple of dance companies there. 
I was part of the rehearsals and had performances. I also was um, lucky enough to give some workshops and a presentation at a local university there, La Católica. It's also a university that my father and my grandfather went to. So it was really special. Carmen Roman, so I know that, so I'm Mexican, and in Mexico we have a lot of Afro-Mexican music and culture that has deeply, mm -hmm. deeply shaped our traditions, but it's right. something that up until very recently, and still in many circles, people do not highlight and talk about. It's mm -hmm. still a place where people are trying to erase that history, even though it is such mm -hmm. an important part of our backbone and our, our, mm -hmm. our Mexicanidad. So tell us how studying African-Peruvian music has shifted and where Afro-Peruvian music is in terms of how it's accepted within Peru as well as outside of Peru. Mm. I think Afro-Peruvian music has been practiced for many generations. Of course, first by Afro-Peruvian families and by Afro-Peruvians. And it started gaining more popularity around the 1950s, where there was a whole movement to reconstruct this, um, the culture, the music, and the dance. And the movement was led by a few groups. One was Peru Negro, which is the most popular, and Victoria Santa Cruz and her brother Nicomedes Santa Cruz, they, they also were leaders in, in the movement. This reconstruction period happened for about 20 years from the 1950s through the 70s. And I feel like right now there's another wave for Afro-Peruvian music and dance in Peru where people are, artists are starting to integrate other elements of African dance and their own style too. There was a group that I practiced with while I was in Peru called Adu. And the leader of that group, Tonio Vilches, he's an amazing tap dancer. So he did a lot of mixing, like tap dancing and Afro-Peruvian footwork and did a lot of like contemporary dance and Afro-Peruvian dance, so fusing those two. So, Carmen, you are actually going to be giving a taller. You're actually a part of a exciting opportunity where people can learn some of this music. It's accompanied with also cajon classes. So tell us about that and tell us about some of the types of dancing that people can learn if they take part in your taller. Yes. So uh, we will be starting a taller, a 10-week workshop in Afro-Peruvian dance and in cajon. This will be starting this Sunday, January 29th at Studio Grant. And I'll be teaching the dance and Pedro Rosales is gonna be teaching the cajon. And for dance specifically, I'm gonna be starting with the, this 10 week session. I'm going to be focusing on the festejo, which is the, the rhythm that we were just listening to, Camote Asal. And the dance itself has a lot of body isolations there is isolations mainly of the hips and the shoulders and hip undulating hips. There's a lot of hip undulations. And sometimes the upper body and the lower body are doing different rhythms. So the lower body can be keeping the beat while the upper body, the shoulders, is doing a double times that. So why don't you tell us about the cajon classes as well? Um, the cajon classes will be led by Pedro Rosales, and uh, he's going to be teaching the basic rhythms of lando and festejo. How, who's, who do you think would be good for, if there's someone listening that's maybe, who should join this workshop, the dance workshops? Or is this for people with a lot of experience, with no experience? Who, would, who should join? I think anybody that wants to dance should join the workshop. Um, there is no prior dance experience required. And the cajon class is specifically for beginners. And so we, we take all levels. Where are these classes going to be held? And tell us about that space. Um, the classes will be held at Studio Grand. And Studio Grand is a, a multidisciplinary art space. And it's located on Grand Avenue in the Lake Merritt neighborhood area. Yeah, and it's a beautiful venue. It's a community space with, it's a supportive environment with friendly teachers. To register, you can go online 
at studiograndoakland.org and you can register for the classes there. Again, it's a 10-week session starting January 29th through April 2nd. So now we're going to close out with another song that features some of what people can learn how to play and also to dance to. So why don't you tell us about what we're about to hear? So you're about to listen to Proyecto Lando, which is actually Pedro's group, who will be teaching the Cajon class starting this Sunday. And they are also having a show at La Estrellita on January 28th, Saturday, January 28th. Starts at 10 p.m., so it'll be Peruvian and Puerto Rican music, Bomba y Festejo. Proyecto Lando and Taller Bombalele will be together at La Estrellita on Saturday if you want to listen to this music live. Also, to find out more information about what I do, you can visit my webpage, www.cunamacue.org. Cunamacue, C-U-N-A-M-A-C-U-E. So we've been speaking with Carmen Roman, talking about the history and the traditions of Afro-Peruvian music and dance, and hearing about a beautiful space that we truly love, Studio Grand. Muchísimas gracias, Carmen, por estar con nosotros. Gracias, Julieta. El agua que está, en el campo está, el agua que está, tiene su marido, tiene su mujer, quiere estar conmigo, y ya se le fue. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Brenda Yescas. 
And this is a calendar of Bay Area events and happenings for the week of Tuesday, January 24th through the 30th. From now till February 11th, the Mission Cultural Center presents Exist and Resist. The center opens its doors to the artistic community to express a reaction to the presidential election. Faced with the rhetoric of fear, division, racism, misogyny, intolerance, and populism from the elected government, artists from diverse communities raise a voice validating our right to exercise the First Amendment. This is at the Mission Cultural Center for Latino Arts, 2868 Mission Street in San Francisco. For more information, go to missionculturalcenter.org. From now till February 26, the Mexican Museum presents Fascination with Fauna, the portrayal of animals in pre-Hispanic art, featuring art from the museum's renowned prehistoric collection. The exhibition will communicate the significance of animals in nature, religion, society, and art to three cultures from early Mexico, the Nayarit, Colima, and Zapotec, Central America, and Peru. The Mexican Museum is located at Fort Mason Center, Building D, Marina Boulevard, and Buchanan Street in San Francisco. Hours of operation are noon to 4 p.m. from Thursday through Sunday. For more information, go to mexicanmuseum.org. For Friday, January 27th and 28th, join Grammy Award winner and Latin jazz artist Poncho Sanchez for a night of salsa, swing, jazz, and bebop. This is at Yoshi's in Oakland, 510 Embarcadero West. For more information and showtimes, go to yoshis.com. All shows are wheelchair accessible. For Saturday, January 28th, Dia del Bienestar. Come participate in a day dedicated to your health and personal care. You will learn about different techniques for well-being and stress reductions. The day will include introductions to the healing arts and much more. This is at Deep Roots Urban Refuge, 527 East 10th Street in Oakland. For more information, go to deeprootsurbanrefuge.org. For Saturday, January 28th, percussion great John Santos and his long-standing Afro-Cuban sextet return to pay tribute to the Bay Area artists who help enrich local culture. Joined by special guest pianist Samora Pinderhughes and flutist vocalist and SF High School alum Elena Pinderhughes, this is at SF Jazz Center, 201 Franklin Street in San Francisco. Starts at 7.30 p.m. and it's wheelchair accessible. For more information, go to sfjazz.org. And this has been a calendar of events, cultura y arte for the Bay Area. If you have any events you would like to add to our calendar, email us at larrazachronicles at kpfa.org. And for more information on our show, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash larrazachronicles. Feliz noches! You've been listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. If you'd like to get involved with our collective or have stories that you think should be covered, you can email us at larrazachronicles at kpfa.org. If you'd enjoyed this program and you want to share with a friend, you can find our archives on soundcloud.com slash larrazachronicles. And if you want to stay up on our news, you can like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash larrazachronicles. Gracias por estar con nosotros. Buenas noches.